There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Were the wise men who visited Jesus kings, priests, astrologers, magicians, or something altogether different? When did they arrive? And is there any significance to the gifts they gave, symbolically or spiritually or prophetically? The Greek word that is translated wise men in the gospel is magos, M-A-G-O-S, from which we get the term magi. And that word, magi, the three magi, the three kings, those phrases are used to refer to them quite often. That word magi is the root of the word magic or magician. Magi were usually involved in occult spiritual practices like astrology. Many theories and traditions exist concerning the identity and the religious worldview practiced by these notable persons who visited Jesus at his birth. By the way, were there three of them, and were they kings? There's many questions that need to be answered, and we're going to explore all of these things on this podcast episode. I think one of the best things to do to start with is to read the gospel account, and incidentally, it's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, which is so ironic because all of Jerusalem, that was primarily all of the Israelite people, including the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin court, the high priest himself. They should have all been excited because they knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah, but instead they were troubled. Why? Well, maybe they knew inside that Jesus came to disrupt religion and establish the kingdom of God. But when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, or the Hebrew word would be Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In other words, out of Bethlehem will come a ruler that will endure forever over all the people of Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. That's an important point. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. 
And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. How deceitful. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And whenever we find the location of Yeshua, of Jesus, a name that means salvation, we should rejoice exceedingly. And when they had come into the house, and that's an important point, when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Now, you wouldn't worship just an ordinary king. So they must have known this was deity wrapped up in human flesh. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. First, the meaning of the gifts. Why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? While the wise men may not have understood the significance of the symbolism, still, I believe, they were inspired to bring those gifts for this reason. Gold is representative of divinity. It's representative of the divine nature being the most valuable or one of the most valuable metals that there is. And it's a gift for kings. Frankincense being a kind of incense provides the aroma, the beautiful smell that ascended before God in the temple and prior to that in the tabernacle mixed with other spices but it represents priesthood. And then myrrh was part of the mix. It was an ingredient in the embalming mixture that they embalmed the dead with. And so gold, frankincense, and myrrh represent the three main roles Jesus would fill, that of king, priest, and sacrificial offering on the cross. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I believe prophetically that was very important, something that we can understand more in retrospect than those who witnessed it that day. Now, how many wise men were there? People have assumed there were three because there were three gifts. There must have been three people, right? Well, not necessarily so. There may have been a number of wise men who gave similar gifts. In Western churches, for a long time, the number pretty much across the board has been three wise men. But over in the East, Eastern churches teach that there were up to 12 wise men. So there is a difference of opinion according to what particular denomination a person might be a part of. I think also that people believe they were kings primarily because of a song that was written in 1857. It's not a belief that's been around for a long time because of the song. It was written by John Henry Hopkins Jr., who was the rector of Christ Episcopal Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And he actually wrote it as a carol for a Christmas pageant taking place in New York City. 
and it has established tradition. You'd be surprised how many things people believe because they caught that belief in a song. And there's a lot of Christian music that doesn't necessarily convey biblical doctrine correctly. So we have to be careful. Now, the magi or the kings or the wise men, whatever you want to call them, were mystery individuals. We don't really know where they came from. We don't know where they went back to. We don't really know what their motives were completely. We didn't know. Uh, we don't know what religion they were a part of. We can make some assumptions, though, which we're going to do. Well, first of all, I, I want to camp for a few moments on why people believe they were kings. Why did John Henry Hopkins write the song, We Three Kings of Orion Are? Because there are some scriptures in the Old Testament, prophecies of the coming Messiah that made it sound like kings would come and present gifts to him at his birth. One of those locations is Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read the highlights of that passage. You should go and read the whole six-verse passage yourself. But it starts off, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then if you go down a little bit further in verse six, it says, all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. So verse three and verse six tend to convey the idea that quite possibly it was kings coming to the brightness of the rising of salvation's hope when the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in human flesh, was born in Bethlehem, and they brought gold and incense and myrrh, but two of the gifts are mentioned in verse 6. Hmm, interesting passage, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6, and that's not all. Psalm 72 is also cited, and Psalm 72 was a psalm that Solomon wrote, but I believe he was recording words that were spoken by his father David right before his passing. And it's a very messianic psalm because it has overtones of meaning that have to refer to a different king than Solomon. Even though supposedly it was about Solomon, it referred to the one who would be called the son of David who descended from the Davidic dynasty the Lord Jesus Christ, who would fulfill these prophecies on a much higher level. And it starts out in verse 1 saying, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. Well, that could be referring to Solomon, or it could be referring to the son of the king of all kings, the king of creation, the everlasting father. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And then if you go down further, in verse 7, it says, In his days the righteous shall flourish, 
an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Well, that can't be referring to Solomon because the moon's been around a long time since Solomon passed away. But when Jesus comes, he's going to usher us eventually into a new creation where there'll be no more sun and no more moon to give light to the city of Jerusalem. And then it says in verse eight, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river, which is Jordan, that flows through Israel, to the ends of the earth. Hmm. And then it says in verse 10 and 11, the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. So once again, they believe that this could be a reference to the wise men and somehow theologians and believers have made the assumption that the wise men and the kings mentioned in Psalm 72 are one and the same. In verse 14, it says, he will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. So were the wise men from Sheba, as Psalm 72 speaks. Uh, and also it, it, it talks about the kings that come to the brightness of his rising in Isaiah 60 is coming from Sheba. Well, Justin Martyr, who was a church leader in the beginning, said that the wise men came from Arabia. So we know that they came somewhere from the east. We don't know if Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60 are accurate in identifying where the wise men came from, but certainly it's an interesting connection. And you should read the entire Psalm 72 as well, because there's a lot more detail in there that I believe would be interesting to you. Well, here's another question that we need to ponder. Where did the wise men encounter the baby or the child Jesus? Did they come to the manger scene where the shepherds were, where most of your nativity scenes depict them coming? Do you remember Matthew chapter two, verse 11? I said that when they had come into the house, they saw the young child, not the infant, not the baby, but they saw the young child would marry his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So apparently it was not at the stable. It was not there in what we traditionally call the nativity scene. I know I'm messing with your, your displays in your front yards and beneath your trees, but uh, I do believe it was probably Bethlehem. Now, I used to believe that it was Nazareth. In fact, until just recently, and I did a lot of research for this episode, and it convinced me that it was probably a location near to Bethlehem or in Bethlehem that Joseph and Mary secured shortly after the birth of Jesus, because there's other scripture that implies they went to Nazareth later on. See, because when they realized that because of a dream that was given that, that the child was endangered, they fled to Egypt. 
And they were there until Herod was dead. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it says, When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Listen now. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So Nazareth wasn't even in the picture until they came back from Egypt. And I don't believe that the wise men visited the Christ child in Nazareth. So how do we fit the timing in? Well, we know that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, it says that Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. Isn't that something the wise men were exceedingly joyful. Herod was exceedingly angry because some people feel threatened by Jesus and others feel absolutely completed and overjoyed at his entrance into their lives and into their world. But Herod was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, meaning that that's where the wise men visited Bethlehem and its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So apparently they said this star had appeared maybe two years prior. God only knows how far they traveled. Maybe they came all the way from India for all we know, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And so if Herod slew all the children from two years old and under, it's possible that at that time, the baby Jesus was two years old. Then was fulfilled that was which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It was an awful thing that so many children were slaughtered but one thing it illustrates, and of course we don't see it spoken of this way in scripture, but one thing it illustrates is that whenever there's a great move of God, and this was the greatest move of God ever to take place, God incarnating in human flesh. And I believe as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, that that was the only incarnation of God. 50 years ago, 51 years ago, when I was a new ager, I believe that there had been many avatars, they say in Hinduism, or incarnations of God. But no longer, once I became a Christian, I could see that it's only Jesus. So they came from a long way. And it's been conjectured that they came not from Sheba, but from Babylon. Why would anybody think that the wise men were from Babylon? Because there had been great influence in Babylon to the wise men and the astrologers and the magicians that served under Nebuchadnezzar through the prophet Daniel. And I'm sure the witness that God provided through Daniel was so convincing uh, 
that they were very curious about his prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. Because see, the word Messiah is only found two times in the Old Testament. It's translated from Mashiach, which is also translated anointed one. But the word Messiah is only found two times in the Old Testament, both in Daniel chapter 9. And it's verses 25 and 26. So Daniel must have told them about the Messiah. Let me back up, though, and tell you why he became so notable in Babylon. I don't have time to go into a lengthy description, but in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a great image with a head of gold, breast of silver, midsection of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and he was mystified by the vision, but he also forgot it. And he called all of his wise men and soothsayers and magicians and astrologers together and said, tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. And they were all, to use the word bumfuzzled, they were completely oblivious to any possible answer because they couldn't pick up on what his dream was. But Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego prayed together and sought God for an answer overnight. And the next day, Daniel got up with the interpretation. God revealed it to him. Praise God. And he told Nebuchadnezzar exactly what it meant. And then in verses 46 through 48, it said, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should bring an offering and incense to him. And he said, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. So Daniel became very prominent in Babylon. He was promoted as prime minister over the whole province, chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, you know good and well, over a period of time, he instructed them in the true revelation of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. Then in Daniel chapter 4, once again, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He needs the interpretation. He calls in the wise men, sorcerers, astrologers. They can't answer him. It's a dream where a tree is cut down to its stump, and he calls in Daniel. Daniel gives him the correct interpretation. And by the way, Daniel was the one who saved the life of all these astrologers and sorcerers because they were going to be slaughtered in the beginning. That's how enraged Nebuchadnezzar was that they couldn't tell him his dream. And then finally in Daniel chapter 5, when Belteshazzar took the vessels from the temple of God and was having an orgy of lust and a, a drunken, filthy, messy party using holy vessels, that the handwriting came on the wall. Many, many takele you farsen. And of course, it was a language he didn't understand he called again for an interpretation, and only Daniel could tell him what he was uh, facing as a result of that prophetic message. And he said, it means you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and destruction soon came to Babylon, and the Persian kingdom took over. But Daniel passed from one kingdom to the next because the Persians respected him as well. Now, why do I think that that could have influenced the wise men. Once again, that phrase wise men in Matthew chapter 2 comes from the word magos, which 
has been the base word from which we get the word magi. And that could have been a reference to those who were given to occult arts. Why would I say that? Because the same word magos, and this is going to be a shocker to some of you, the same word magos that is translated wise men in Matthew chapter 2 is translated sorcerer in Acts chapter 13. Same word magos is translated sorcerer. Paul and uh, his companion, I believe it was Barnabas, and they also had John with them as an assistant. They came to an island called Paphos, P-A-P-H-O-S, and they found a certain sorcerer, Magos is the Greek word, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus or Bar-Yeshua, which means son of Jesus or son of Yeshua. Because by the way, Yeshua was a common name when Jesus was born. That's why quite often he was referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. That signified which Jesus was being spoken about. And then it went on to say that while Paul was speaking to the proconsul Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man, he called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, and they were presenting it to Sergius Paulus. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And then he cursed him with blindness. Wow. Then the proconsul believed in the gospel when he saw the power of what the sign demonstrated that someone who stood against it, someone who tried to resist it, came under such a pronouncement that he became blind as a result. So the word translated wise men is also translated sorcerer. So could it be that the wise men were astrologers, quote unquote, sorcerers, those involved in dark spiritual arts or exploring all kinds of supernatural things to try and find truth and ultimate reality. In fact, I kind of uh, tend to think that the wise men were the new agers of their day, but they were seekers. They were seekers of spiritual truth. They were seekers that were overjoyed to see a sign of a star in the sky. And I believe they were converted and I believe they left any occult arts behind when they met the Christ child, when they met the Messiah. Who knows? Possibly they were astrologers because of the star, but just because they saw a star and that led them to the house where Jesus was located does not mean they were astrologers. They could have just been ordinary spiritual seekers that saw a sign in the heavens. And just because the Greek word means sorcerer, also it doesn't mean that they were sorcerers too. And he was a false prophet, Elimus, but it doesn't mean that they were prophets. So we don't really know who the wise men were. 
but we do know who the child was. And the child was the king of all kings and he was worthy of gold and worthy of frankincense and worthy of myrrh. And not only that, he's worthy of our lives being devoted to him for the rest of our lives, every facet of our lives being consecrated to his purpose. Lay down your life before him just like the magi, like the wise men laid down before him, prostrating themselves in worship and gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. I urge you to give him your faith, give him your praise, give him your adoration. Consider that Jesus truly was the way, the truth, and the life as John 14, 6 declares, and that he's the only door to eternal life because of his death, on the cross, he redeemed the entire human race and paid the sacrificial price. And because of his resurrection, he becomes a prototype for all of us who believe in him, who will also be resurrected from the dead. And one last thing that I want to say, and then I'm going to close. I believe the whole story also illustrates another important fact. Because see, God knew that Joseph and Mary were poor. We know they were poor because when they came to Jerusalem, they didn't have enough money to sacrifice a lamb. They had to sacrifice pigeons, which were the animal that poor people sacrificed. So they didn't have much. And God knew that he needed to finance their flight to Egypt. He had to finance their departure from Bethlehem by the cover of night in order for them to be able to make it in this foreign land, they had to have some kind of backing. Well, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh were supplied to them, not only as proper gifts for a king, but as a way of financing their trip and their beginning years in Egypt, because God is our provider. And Jesus, the child in Bethlehem, is the provider of salvation for the whole human race. We're coming to the close of the year, and I rarely mention this, but I ask you to consider supporting our work. Go to shreveministries.org or go to thetruelight.net, shreveministries.org or thetruelight.net and go to the section where you can give, and you can give on a recurring basis, weekly or monthly, because we have to renew our contract in the next week in order to do these podcasts for the next year. And we got our stats just a few days ago, and it was really exciting to see that we've had downloads from about 186 countries, almost 200 countries. And there have been about 160,000 downloads over the last year. And so it's touching people. It's instructing people that need the word of the Lord And I believe it's a work worthy of support. So would you consider becoming one of our partners? Thank you for being with me. Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.